Hello beautiful people, you are listening to the voice of David Odejai. I'm the host of Half Court Hustle, the basketball podcast dedicated to bringing you the best news analysis from all of the biggest basketball games. Let's get straight into it. This week I'm talking about Team USA. What the hell happened? I'm sure you guys have heard about it by now. Team USA knocked out in spectacular fashion by France in the quarterfinals of the FIBA World Cup before falling again the next day to Serbia, again in very dramatic fashion. But before we get to that, you already know where to find me. Follow me on Twitter, on Instagram, using the handle at Half Court Hustle. So let's get straight into it. The first thing to note, and the obvious headline from all of this is, well, the big hitters were missing. I'm going to read you out a few names. Just look at the, the players on this list. James Harden, Anthony Davis, Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, CJ McCollum. All of these players dropped out of the tournament. That's before you even get to LeBron James, Steph Curry, Draymond Green. The wealth of talent that Team USA has at its fingertips is embarrassing. That's an embarrassment of riches right there. That's what you call that. There are so many megastars that Team USA can draw from. But the problem was they just didn't want to show up to this particular tournament. So this Team USA squad was headlined by Kemba Walker and Donovan Mitchell and had decent players in the supporting cast. Yes, it's not the team uh, from the 90s. It's not the dream team. It's not even the redeemed team from 2008. But let's not pretend that, you know, this roster was filled with scrubs. You had Chris Middleton, the sharpshooter from the Milwaukee Bucks, fresh off the number one seed last year, the best record in the league, playing next to Giannis Antetokounmpo. You had Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, who were two young up-and-coming players on the on the Boston Celtics. You had uh, Brooke Lopez, you had Harrison Barnes, you had, you had like a bevy of solid NBA players. Joe Harris, who was the best three-point shooter, the most accurate three-point shooter in the league last year. You had decent players, so let's not pretend that uh, this was a team filled with scrubs. But still, like, the writing seemed to be on the wall from the beginning. Team USA really struggled out of the gate. First, there was that defeat against the USA Select team, which was filled with American players abroad and G League players. So the Team USA squad was playing against G League players, players who are knocking at the door of the NBA but are not quite there. And they lose by almost 20 points in a scrimmage to a team filled with G League players. And at that point, I think you're looking at this squad and you're starting to wonder, does this team have it in them to get it done. Then not too long after that, you had that exhibition game against Australia where the Americans were just torched by Patty Mills. That game ended a 78-game winning streak for the USA 
in uh, basketball competitions and exhibitions. So that was serious. It sent shockwaves around the basketball league because at this point, Team USA are looking quite vulnerable again. There was another scare against Turkey in which Team USA has to go to overtime. And basically, Turkey deserved to win that game. It was only because they missed a bunch of free throws towards the end of the game that Team USA were able to pull out the victory. But at this stage, they're looking very suspect. Now, I caught the Team USA-France game. And, you know, let me tell you, France, solid team, very well coached. Rudy Gobert in the middle, uh, defensive nightmare, defensive player of the year, as we all know. Evan Fournier, who's a very solid player, part of the Orlando Magic's team that really overperformed this year. So a solid team, but you, you look at those pieces on paper and you look at Team USA on paper, Team USA is the better team. Not only that, they're coached by Greg Popovich and Steve Kerr. So you've got to think Greg Popovich, of all of the coaches alive, is the most renowned for getting the most out of limited talent on his roster. So it is not like Team USA was undermatched. In my opinion, I don't think that Team USA played that poorly. The issue was they just couldn't get things going offensively. Donovan Mitchell was pretty much the only player in the entire roster who had a decent night. He had 29 points by the start of the fourth quarter and he was just going off and at one point France were leading but in the middle of the third quarter Donovan Mitchell just put Team USA on his back and uh, it looked like you know they were going to win the game off the back of his play alone because nobody else got it going. Kemba Walker was really quiet in the first half um, nobody else was really contributing offensively at all. I think Joe Harris hit a three There were a couple of buckets from uh, Jalen Brown. Jason Tatum was out of the France game because he had an ankle injury. That would have hurt a lot because he was one of the few, one of the few dynamic offensive pieces outside of Mitchell and outside of Kembo in terms of somebody who can get their own shot. That was something that this team was missing quite a lot. Um, Outside of those two, I did no no one else really on the team is like a certified ball handler who can kind of create their own offense. Chris Middleton is 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 okay at that, but like um it's really outside of those two there isn't much dynamic offensive creativity going on. Team USA couldn't get it going offensively, but they were playing decent defense. Like they were they were swarming at points and Throughout the tournament, actually, Team USA had been getting by on the fact that they had really good defensive players. You've got uh, Jalen Brown, who I really like as a defensive piece. Marcus Smart, who is, he works really hard. He's deceptively strong. Uh, He's good at at just getting into position and just causing problems for opposing offensive players. You have, you know, really kind of smart, guyly wing players But the problem with Team USA, despite the good defense, despite the play from Donovan Mitchell, is that they insisted on playing this really sort of small, really sort of small ball style of play that I know that has become popular in in recent years. 
but you, but you know that there, there were times when uh during the France game anyway you you had you'd have had Kemba Walker, Donovan Mitchell, Marcus Smart, Harrison Barnes and Chris Middleton all on the floor at the same time. Which of those guys is playing center? Which of those guys is is your big who's protecting the rim? And it was really frustrating to see that because Miles Turner could not guard Rudy Gobert in this game. Rudy Gobert was a monster offensively. Got to the rim whenever he wanted. He's really athletic for somebody who's seven feet. So uh, anytime France came down with a rebound, Gobert was sprinting the length of the floor, beating Miles Turner to position, turning, dunking. He was pretty much getting whatever he wanted on the offensive end. And as a result, Turner got into foul trouble really early. And something that the announcers pointed out and something that I was thinking as I was watching the game as well, why didn't Greg Popovich make more use of Brook Lopez? What you want to do is pull Rudy Gobert out of the paint so that you open up driving lanes for the rest of the team because that became a big issue. Uh, Miles Turner went to the bench and there was nobody who was really able to protect the rim against Gobert and against Evan Fournier, who also had a monster game and was tearing Team USA up. He had no rim protection and you didn't really have much shooting either. Like nobody on Team USA was really connecting from long distance and that really hurt the spacing as well. Rudy Gobert was a monster on the defensive end as well. He had a couple of really big blocks in the fourth quarter. He just would stifle anything Team USA would try to do, especially towards the end of the game. So what have we gone through so far? Team USA offensively just couldn't get it going. Defensively, they played well. But the thing is, let's not take anything away from France. They were just a really well-coached, uh, and well-drilled defensive team. As good as Team USA was defensively, France were better. And I think Greg Popovich just got out-coached in this one. I think the, the, the French players were just a little bit hungrier. They made a couple of lucky shots as well. There was a little bit of luck involved. Evan Fournier made a couple of ridiculous three-pointers, but ultimately I think France wanted it a little bit more and it, it showed. So there's a period towards the end of the game where France outscore Team USA. I think it was 18 to 3. It was 18 to 3, 22 to 5. And during that period, despite the fact that Donovan Mitchell had scored 29 points at that point, Team USA were running all of their plays through Kemba Walker. And he just could not get anything going. He would call for a screen. The screen wouldn't come on time. He would force his way to the basket and then Rudy Gobert would just block him or he'd lose the ball on the way to the rim. But then Team USA just didn't try anything different. And at that stage, if you remember what I said earlier, there isn't anybody really outside of Kemba and Donovan Mitchell on this team that can create their own shot. So Mitchell gets frozen out of the offense because everything is going through Kemba. Kemba doesn't have anything going and there's no, there's no release valve. So yeah, out goes uh, Team USA and it didn't get any better the following day against Serbia either because Serbia just caught fire uh, in the first quarter. At one point, at the end of the first quarter, we're leading Team USA 32-7 to 7, 
Ouch, man. Giving up 30 points in a quarter. And you got to remember, like, FIBA quarters are only 10 minutes. So, rah, that's a lot of points to give up in a single quarter. Um, so, you know, Team USA tried to fight back, but... And they did fight back. I think they tied the game at one point. Um, but no, Serbia took took the win there. And the humiliation of Team USA was complete. That's the worst finish for a Team USA team involving NBA players. In terms of the failure of these Team USA rosters on the world stage, this one is pretty historic because if you, you know, looking at some of the teams in the past, then bear in mind that not every Team USA squad has used NBA players. When you look at this particular squad, even when you go back to the 2004 Olympics, where you know, Team USA suffered a shock loss to, I think it was, it was either Greece or Argentina. Even in the 2006 Olympics, when, you know, Spain took the gold there, the USA at least medaled. So for the, for Team USA, and, and remember those teams were, you know, those teams were maligned. The 2002 team, the 2014, the 2006 teams were all maligned for not winning gold. And so when Kobe Bryant and LeBron James, you know, joined forces in 2008, um, they didn't cruise to a gold medal. Spain gave them a tough time in the 2008 Olympic final. When they came out and, and won gold, it was a big deal because it had been a decade of underperformance for the Team USA squad. And this particular performance in, in this World Cup is worse than any of that. So... You know, to finish seventh in a World Cup tournament, like even with this, I guess, B tier, maybe even C tier squad, even with with the players that they brought, I would have expected a better finish than that. But there you go. There you go. Uh, Team USA. What the hell happened? I think there are a number of factors that contributed to this particular disappointing performance. First of all, FIBA World Cup tournaments or World Championships as they used to be called, they don't generate as much hype as, as the Olympics. So I think the, the big names show up for the Olympics in a way that they don't tend to for the World Cup tournaments. And the issue is once the big names start to drop out or confirm that they're not going as a player, you're in a little bit of a dilemma as to whether to commit to Team USA for the World Cup or not. Because, you know, let's let's imagine that you're one of those players who's kind of borderline all-star, ideally would be sort of bench player, role player on, you know, a Team USA super team. And then the likes of James Harden, Steph Curry, LeBron James, those guys aren't turning up to the tournament. And these tournaments don't generate as much buzz as the Olympics. You're not going to be heralded as a hero for bringing back a gold medal from a FIBA World Cup tournament. That's just basic. It's what's expected of you. Like as, as soon as you put on a Team USA jersey, you're expected to bring home that medal. Nobody's going to bat an eyelid if you come home with a gold. But if you lose, if you lose, that's when it becomes a problem. So you have this mountain of expectation with not much reward in a situation where because all of the big names have dropped out, you're even more susceptible to defeat. So why put yourself through that? And another issue is because this tournament was moved to summer 2019, there is a massive scheduling issue in that 
the NBA season finished a couple of months ago. You have to play in this particular World Cup, which is only that, you know, the end of which is about seven weeks away from the start of the next NBA season. You know, the NBA finals finish in June 2020. And then all of a sudden you've got a few weeks to prepare for the Olympics in Tokyo. It's a heavy, heavy burden, especially if you're on a team which is expected to do really well in the playoff. It's a lot to ask a player, particularly if you're struggling with injury or if you, you've just come back from an injury or you've got, you know, whatever other issues that you're trying to deal with in the summer. It's not ideal to have Team USA FIBA World Cup duties at this point in the year. So, you know, that plays a big role as well. As I sort of touched on earlier, well, actually, no, I haven't mentioned this. This Team USA squad is the least accomplished Team USA squad since, was it the 1998? I'm going to look this up. Right, so this is the least accomplished uh, Team USA squad since the 1998 FIBA World Championship squad because that 1998 team didn't have any NBA players. So this team only had two All-Stars compared to like the, the dozen or so All-Stars that were on the, the uh, dream teams in the 90s and the 2008 Olympic squad. Like this was just not, you know, these were not the big hitters. So I guess to some extent you always expected that this would be an uphill struggle, perhaps in a way that it hasn't been in the past for Team USA. I'm not sure that lessens the disappointment, but, you know, there is something to be said for the fact that this wasn't the A-team. And to be honest, it's always worth mentioning the fact that FIBA rules are just different from NBA rules. The style of play is just different because the court is a lot smaller for players that are more used to a run up and down, pace and space, three-point style of play where there's a lot of space to drive. That's a lot more difficult in, in FIBA because the three-point line is a lot closer to the basket. And there's no, and I didn't know this before the start of the tournament, there's no defensive three-second rule. So you can have a big man parked in the lane, clogging up driving lanes. And that makes it difficult if you're dependent on a, a sort of drive and kick type offense. And that's why actually Giannis uh, and Tetacumpo and Greece struggled mightily because... Giannis didn't have the usual driving lanes that he would expect if he was playing for the Bucks, and Greece didn't have a whole lot of shooters so they didn't do very well at all. The biggest factor and this is one which is, should give Team USA pause for thought in Tokyo and tournaments going forward really. The game is just a lot more international than it used to be and the rest of the world Never mind the rest of the world is catching up. The rest of the world has caught up. I was reading, I think it was on The Ringer. It was either The Ringer or The Athletic. I can't remember. I was reading an article which pointed out the fact that when the original Dream Team started off playing in the 1992 Olympics, I want to say. Oh, I don't, I, let me not get that wrong. It was either the 92 Olympics or the 96 Olympics and... Yeah, the original Dream Team, when the original 1992 Olympic Dream Team were playing, there were about a dozen international players in the NBA in the 90s. 
Whereas now, almost a quarter of all players in the NBA were born outside of America. Now, that that is a hell of a, a lot of growth. And that is a hell of a lot of top tier talent outside of America or outside of Team USA, I should say. And that's before you get to, you know, the, the high quality of basketball being played in Spain, in Greece, in Turkey, all across Eastern Europe. There are leagues outside of America where there are a lot of really good, really well coached, uh, really solid talent out there. So the days where you can just expect a team of All-Stars to slap on a Team USA jersey and steamroll their way through a tournament, those days are those days are done. Even in recent years, when you look at the uh redeemed team in 2008, they didn't have an easy time of it winning that gold medal like Spain gave them a run for for their money so look those are the reasons why I think Team USA underperformed in this tournament uh do I think that this result will be repeated if the megastars show up to Tokyo no I don't think so and Team USA seem to go through this weird cycle where the big stars will refuse to show up for a tournament the team does worse than people expect. And then because everybody's on tenterhooks, oh, Team USA didn't win a tournament. The big stars have more incentive to show up to their next tournament because they can be the heroes and, you know, be part of the redeem team or whatever it was. So I think this is just the, the downswing of that cycle. And, um, you know, LeBron and Steph and all of those guys will turn up next year and, and most likely win the gold. I think Team USA might be in a little bit of a pickle after. No, actually, no, no. I take I take that back. I was going to say that Team USA is going to be in a pickle after uh, after 2020 because it's unlikely that you'll have the likes of, of of LeBron James and maybe even not Steph Curry at like the the next Olympics. But there's there's plenty of young and up and coming Team USA talent, and I'm looking at the likes of uh, I'm looking at the likes of De'Aaron Fox. I'm looking at Mitchell, um, you know, these guys will be, they should come into their own as like bona fide stars, even, even hell, even Zion Williamson, like these guys should come into their own as bona fide stars in the next two years, in the next um, few years, sorry. So I don't think, I don't think there's much for Team America to worry about long term, but you have to take these tournaments seriously. Like you can't just, even if you do bring your stars, you can't just turn up to a FIBA World Cup and expect that you'll, you'll, you'll face roll the entire tournament. Yeah, so that's it, Team America. What a disappointing tournament. Um, but enough of that. Thank you for listening to Half Court Hustle. If you want to keep that conversation going, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at Half Court Hustle. Until next time, see you later.